I was really glad I could get Dan Henderson on here onto the podcast because the dude's really, really smart. He's made multiple successful businesses turning over six and seven figures, and he's also exited one as well, which is very, very rare. And the reason why I'm such a big fan of that is because a lot of people can start up a business, but very few people can get it to a stage where you can step out of it it can run on autopilot, then you can sell it as well. Like that's really, really cool. This is gonna be super helpful for anybody who is in the fitness space already and is already running a business and wants to grow theirs and wants to learn like the mindset techniques and what you actually need to do to get up to that next level. Also for anybody who wants to enter the fitness space and wants to have success in gyms or in coaching or anything within this health and fitness sphere. So I'm gonna stop the introduction there. Let's crack on in, get into the interview. I hope this helps you out. Welcome on, brother. Pleasure to be here, man. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, my pleasure. Dude, I'd love to start off with, like for you, like on your pathway through business, like obviously you're crushing it, you've done really well, you've built businesses, you've exited, like you've done things that very, very few people in business have actually done. Where did it all start for you? Look, it started for me long before I even had an official business. I think I've always had a little bit of a flair for entrepreneurship and running a business. Must have been ingrained from my parents because they were small business operators. So my dad had a printing business. And then when technology kind of changed and shifted that industry, him and my mum went into childcare. And so I saw them, you know, in business and I saw what it was like to work for yourself. And from an early age, I really liked the idea of business. Like one of the things I did very, very early on was I created these t-shirts off a TV show that I liked. I sold them on eBay and we got all this PR and everything else. And it wasn't an official business, but you know, I liked the idea of creating something that the world hadn't seen. So creating something out of nothing, you see an opportunity and then you create the product or service to meet that opportunity. So that's where it started. And then it really evolved in my personal training business. I did five years at university. I had a sport and exercise management degree, an honors degree. I went in and had like a corporate account executive role for a sportswear company. And it was enjoyable. And I learned a lot from that position and I'm grateful for it. But I was really drawn to just personal training. So I was just really operating out of the back of my car. And after 12 months of doing that, I opened up a personal training studio. And that was the first real official business. And I quickly found out that I knew very little about business. And it taught me some really harsh lessons, which I'm still very, very grateful for. What did you learn? I learned that being a really good technician was not enough. So being very, very good at the actual work was not enough. I learned that I can't do everything myself. And so I um, you know, really, really struggled in trying to do so. I learned that selling time for money was not the best business either. And I really learned the importance of sales and marketing and how vital those functions are within business itself. So I was exposed really early. On the surface, it would have looked like I was doing quite well because the business was building nicely, but it was killing me. The hours in particular, and then the stress, and then the damage on a personal front off the back of that. So from my dad, I learned a lot of great things, but this one was not great. And he just did everything in business. And so I learned about work ethic. I was always happy to work hard. I had jobs at school. I had three jobs at university. I was always able to work hard, but not necessarily smart. And I saw that from him. He never delegated. He never actually built a you know a really successful thriving team. And so I was trying to do everything. You know, I'm in there at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. I'm cleaning the place writing the programs and then delivering the sessions. I'm doing the accounts, I'm doing the admin and 
that would go from, you know, all the way up until 7, 8 p.m. And that would be six days a week. And that would be 52 weeks a year. And that would be public holidays. And soon, like, I found everything else was was start was starting to be impacted. The relationship I was in at the time was falling apart. My own personal health was no longer a priority. Every one of my customers was a priority. I really was on the precipice of burnout. Like I remember it. I remember it clearly. After 18 months, I took my first break, traveled up to Tweed from Sydney to Tweed. And I remember for the first week of that holiday, I literally could not peel myself off the couch. And I was cooked. I was absolutely cooked at that point. And I knew that I had to do things very differently if, if I wanted to be in business. Did you uh, pride I, yourself on your work ethic and how much you'd work? Yeah. I mean, busyness was worn as a badge of honor. You know, I still catch myself wearing it as a badge of honor. I definitely did. And it worked against me. And again, this was not the working smart. I had the working hard down pat, but I wasn't working smart. And so I just do a lot of things that I shouldn't have done. It worked against me, not for me. I'd like to think over the last 15 years or probably 14 years, I now work smarter as, and I still work hard because I love, for me, it's not work. I derive a lot of joy and fulfillment. So that's the catch though, because it's easy to find yourself overcommitted and overworking at times. Totally. The whole passion thing is an interesting one, particularly in fitness, because like we love what we do. Like you don't get into fitness to make money. Like if you want to make money, you go into like mortgage broking or sales or something like that. That's where you got to make money. But fitness, you come into it because you fucking love this stuff, but it's a real trap because you're so passionate about it that you end up working all day every day because you say, oh, well, it's my passion. And so therefore it's fun. And therefore 16 hour days don't matter. But then it comes and smacks you over the back of your head and you end up, you know, you're living on a couch for a week in tweed heads because you're so exhausted. So how do you coach people and how do you manage it within yourself to be able to set boundaries so that you don't burn out, even though you love what you're doing? Yeah, great question. And really, it comes from two things. It comes from structure and discipline, and you need to have both in spades. So now I have my week written out for me exactly the way that it should look. I mean, the people listening won't see this, but I'm holding up exactly the way my week will look. So you have, what's that spaced out? Every 30 minutes? Every hour I have. Every hour. Every hour of every day I have mapped out. That is called the perfect week formula. It wasn't developed by me. It was developed by one of my friends and colleagues, Craig Ballantyne. That has been an absolute godsend because now I follow the structure. Because if I don't follow the structure, I'm going to just do the things that I love, which is more work. The other dimensions of my life are going to suffer. So I became a bit of a one-dimensional douchebag because all I did was live and breathe work. Now I have a structure that includes those other dimensions. And they're the big rocks, right? So they're the things that go in first. So my date night is in there first. My family time, because I'm a dad of three, goes in there first. My training goes in there first. Now I start to build my business around that. And that's the inverse paradigm that I now have. How has that changed the way you do business? Like putting family first and those important things first. I believe I'm better at business for it because I have boundaries and people respect those boundaries. And I believe I'm a better father and a better partner as a result can be a lot better, but the structure has certainly helped on that side. I'm actually just way better at business when I'm actually spending a lot more time filling my cup up, doing the things that light me up as well. I bring a far better energy, far better clarity to business and to my coaching practice now. So, you know, that's the structure side of things. The second part, 
it's only one half of the coin. The second half is the discipline. You've actually got to be disciplined to live within that structure and those boundaries every day. It's easy. Like someone will go, hey, Dan, I want to coach with you. Here's a whole bunch of money. Coach me. But I need you to be available at this time on these days. I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Or if my books are full, actually say they're full right now. And so that's the discipline side of things. But that's allowed me to have a lot more. And I hate using this word because it's been bastardized. And it's different for so many people. But for me, it's a reflection of my priorities, my values, my balance. And that certainly helps. But also, I just needed to get way better at business. You know, back then, I didn't know my ass from my elbow when it came to business, really. And I toughed it out for a number of years until I actually got better at the game of business. Well, how much of an effect did uni have on your ability to succeed? I would say very little. It gave me credibility. So, you know, having an honours degree, you know, having the degree definitely gave me some credibility in the education space once I became an educator and you know, I travelled the world as an educator. It helped on that side. And the actual knowledge that I learned in those five years and implemented it from a day-to-day perspective in business, I would say it was next to zero. I really... <laughs> so that's the best 60 grand you've ever spent, right? Oh, man. <laughs> Thank God for scholarships. It was five years of my life. They were fun. But in terms of the game of business, I would have been far, far, far better just diving straight into entrepreneurship and learning the lessons in the real world because that's where most of the learning has taken place. It's it's interesting, man. Every single person who I've asked that question who's gone to uni, I haven't had one person on this podcast yet who has said that uni has helped. Like not one. I loved uni. I had so much fun. It taught me a heap of stuff. It made me quite a good coach, but I still sucked at business. Mm. Like it was terrible at business. And in the end of the day, yeah, for sure. Having a good product and knowing your stuff gets you so far. But the thing that gets you to the next level, the seven, eight, nine figures, it's not uni. You don't learn any of that there. No, 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 no way. I mean, I loved it as well. It was fun. But you don't learn, you know, I remember, you know, I did marketing, you know, as a subject and you're not learning marketing out of a textbook these days. That's not the way that it works. And so it's, it's archaic. I'm certainly, I don't regret it, but I will say, you know, to my children, um, if certain professions, they got to go to university. If they want to be a doctor like my partner, go to university. Absolutely. You know, there's no other way. But if you want to win in the game of entrepreneurship and small business, then I think there are far, far better ways to spend your time, money, and energy. If you had your time again, would you still go to uni? Oh, that's a yes, because I think it's got me to where I am today. It's helped shape me as the, the person I am today. So yes, I would say I would still say yes. What did you take away from uni? That's a very good question. It's having trouble answering because when I look, I'm like, well, I don't actually apply a lot of it. But I do believe from a social perspective, it definitely helped working in teams, doing collaborations, doing assignments. It was beneficial. The actual just experience of just kind of working out who I wanted to be in the world and having the time and space, that was helpful as well. What do you mean by that? You know, I was really trying to work out my identity for a long time. Like, did I want to be a professional coach? Did I want to be in the corporate sports sector? You know, what did I want my career to look like? And that gave me the environment and the avenue to to undertake some of that critical thinking. Mm. And how did you end up finding your identity? Because that's a big one. Identity is everything. The way that we perceive ourselves and the world around us and the relationship we have with that world controls like literally every single outcome we have in life. So what did you do to form this identity that you have? I think for me, we obviously get a lot of our identity from our parents. Like that's really, you know, where the seed is formed. 
And for me, I had to wrestle with that for a long time because my parents had an identity of me that they wanted me to aspire to. And so, you know, they would have loved for me to have a very white collar professional job. (laughs) That sounds familiar. (laughs) Oh, yeah. My parents would have loved, like my mum in particular, she wanted me to be an accountant, right? And so that, when I told her that I'm going into sport and fitness, you know, it was horrifying for her. And so I think what I learned is just learn to listen to me, listen to my intuition more and less to the noise around me, less to my parents, uh, respectfully, less to what society wanted and just listen to, you know, what does my heart want? What does my intuition want? What do I want for myself? What do I really, what do I want from life? What fills me up? The more I listen to that, the wiser the decisions became. Well, it's not an easy thing to do though. And then particularly with your parents, you said that the word respectfully, like to disagree with them and to not listen to them and to the world around you and society respectfully. How do you say no to them when they have very, very distinct beliefs and views on what you should do? I think it really comes from a ability to just let them understand that I love you. I respect you. I know you only have the best interests at heart for me. However, this is the decision I'm making and why. And this is how I see it happening. And that whilst they might not understand it there and then, I at least had, you know, some semblance of support. And then that obviously grew more and more when they could see that it was a successful decision. Like I was making smart decisions. And now they have incredible respect for me. They love what I've done from a professional perspective. In many ways, they're my greatest supporters. You know, that was a process where they had to come around. And it was really just explaining the rationale as to why I was making these decisions. It wasn't a personal, it wasn't a personal decision. I wasn't doing it to be uh, naughty. I wasn't doing it to, to be spiteful or anything else. I was doing it because this is what I genuinely felt like I needed to do and what I'd been called to do as well. Why was it that you felt that you needed to do this? Because my heart and soul told me. And it took me a little while to navigate to this period. Like I remember finishing university. And even when I was in that corporate job, I was like, what do I want to do right now? And I actually applied for the police force. And there I uncovered that I was colorblind. I actually red, green, colorblind. And so I couldn't get into the police force. So then I applied for ASIO. So sorry, you discovered like you were colorblind then. So you didn't know any earlier, it never come up. When I looked at it retrospectively, there were certain scoreboards that I couldn't read. There was one school board in particular, one of the schools that we used to play, that I couldn't read. And I didn't know why that was. And then, yeah, it came up in the testing. And then after that, I thought I'd go into the intelligence, ASIO. Oh, the dark side. The dark side went very far down that path. And really, I was just asking a lot of questions of myself and just trying to find out what I wanted and who I wanted to be. How Uh, was it working for ASIO? I went to Canberra. I did all their testing and everything else but I didn't actually work for ATO, but it was a cool process. It was a very thorough process. Let me tell you that. It was about six, seven stages, multiple meetings with psychologists, lots of aptitude testing. It was exhausting. It really was. It was actually a very, quite enjoyed the process itself. What were they looking for? I think they were looking for a couple of things. They were looking for, for good thinkers. So people that could think critically. They were looking for people that had some worldly experience. So, you know, people that had, that could speak multiple languages was always advantageous. They were looking for good communicators. 
I think they were looking for people that were pretty level-headed. Mm. Have you read, um, there's a great book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. Awesome book. The dude in there, he worked for the, um, what's the US version of ASIO, the intelligence one over there? The, the Homeland Security Agency. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, I forgot that. And like their way of going through it, and it's, it sounds very similar. Like you go through and there's lots of psychological aptitude and they test things like compliance and rebellion and all that sort of stuff. It's, like, it's really, really interesting. Highly recommend taking a look at that book. Yeah, um, I'll have to have a look at that. That sounds great. It goes a little bit darker than that. But yeah, like it's a, uh, it's a really, really interesting book, which which goes and, uh, and, and looks at some awesome stuff. But back to you. CIA, is that right? Right? Is that what is that what he no, wants? What's the no the 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 one that's always get the NSA? That's uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah, the one that always gets caught spying on people. That one. But yeah, that's super cool, man. So, all right. So you you went and you worked at ASIO, and then you obviously found out that that wasn't for you. Is that right? No, I didn't actually work for ASIO. So I just yep. went down that process of yep. you know, is armed forces for me, is police into is intelligence for me, and then it was kind of concurrent at the same time that I was. Just really like I was just doing some personal training out the back of my car in between my job. And and I was like, oh, I like this. I like working for myself. I like this fitness industry. And that's what was the trigger for me to really open that first personal training studio in Sydney. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Where'd you open that? In Coogee, in Coogee Beach in Sydney. So it's a nice part of the world, really nice part of the world. It was a tiny, tiny, tiny little space. I didn't have a whole lot of money to start it. So I had all of about $14,000. I pre-sold mm. some additional memberships, opened it up with about $30,000. That was it. It was this tiny space. After a couple of years, I took over the space next door. A couple of years later, I took over the space next door. So the tiny space became bigger and it was on a main road and it was uh, in a really nice community. It's still there today. I owned and operated it for 10 years, sold it for a really nice multiple. It's got beautiful people still there that used to work for me, you know, st- still doing great things. Three and a half years since I sold it. That's awesome. So how did you exit that business? So I built it to a point where it wasn't dependent on me. So it really was a business. A lot of people say they have a business, they actually have a job and then they're a slave to that job. And that was me. Initially. Well, so what's the, what's the difference by your definition? A job is like you end up just working for yourself. You take yourself out of it. Would it still be operational? Would it still be profitable? Would it still be impactful? And for five years, I would have said, no, no, no. Like there's no way I could have taken like a couple of weeks out of it. But what was happening was I was getting many, many opportunities globally to speak on big stages in regards to training. So I had to build systems and great people so I could actually step out of that business and take up these opportunities. As a result of that, the great benefit was I actually built a business and it was more through necessity than anything else. And so when it came to selling, I had a business that was profitable. It was paying me over six figures in profit. It wasn't dependent on me. I was only in there six hours a week. And so it was a very saleable commodity. I just... After 10 years, I was like, I'm not really throwing the doona off of a morning to work in this business anymore. Yes, I'm only working in it six hours a week, but there's opportunity cost in those six hours and also my bandwidth in terms of thinking. And so I think it's time to sell it. So I approached a broker, had a buyer within a month, sold it, exited two and a half multiple, which you don't really get these days for an independent fitness business. And so that's something that I'm quite proud of because not many people have done it in our space. So then after that, it was really focusing. I owned a company uh, for 11 years called Functional Training Institute. First people in Australia to write a series of courses and certifications in functional modalities. So a lot of people now know functional training 
because of places like F45. 11, 12 years ago, oh, I was even longer. Yeah, it was formulated in 2009. It wasn't mainstream at that stage. It was becoming mm. it. We could see it. And so I developed the first courses ever produced within the Australian fitness industry for things like kettlebells and mobility and battling ropes and bags and functional rehab. And so we can created all these courses. I had a business partner the whole time. We used to sell those courses direct to public. We used to do corporate deals with franchises. We used to license it out into certain markets like China and Taiwan. That was a really fun business. And so that's where I was primarily, you know, focusing most of my time and energy after I sold my studio was in that space, essentially educating and leading a team of educators within that space. Awesome. And how long were you in that one for? That was 12 years. That was 12. That's a good stint. It was a good stint. It was a really good stint. I'm really, really proud of a number of the things that we accomplished in that business. Wrote a best-selling book called Purpose Driven Movement. Got to travel the world. I got to meet some of my best friends, guys like Jimmy P that you and I know well. That's how I, I met him through that business. So just met a lot of fantastic people. And then I wasn't as passionate about the business. There was no doubt in the last kind of two years, I was really starting to get passionate about business and coaching people within business. And my business partner and I, after a long time, just wanted different things from the business. And so we decided to part ways this year and we're still good friends and have done so respectfully. And so he still runs the business, still operates the business. I now do my thing. Well, I love what you do because it sounds like as soon as you feel like your heart's not in a business anymore, you leave it which is really, really difficult. I mean, a lot of guys in business, they'll have this business which is making awesome money. They fucking hate it. They don't want to be there, but they stay anyway for the comfort. What has led you to leave the comfort and pursue happiness? I just think life is too short to be doing things that you don't really love. Like, And I don't, I won't say that every day. Like I wake up and go, fuck, work is amazing today. Like there's obviously challenges, but I really, for me, Work is a place where I really want to be fulfilled. Like it's a place where I want to be energized. It's a place where I want to be passionate. And I never actually want it to feel like a job. I never want it to feel like work. I never want to be watching the clock at the end of the day. I never want to be, you know, having to give myself self-talk just to get into the office. That's not how I've ever wanted to live my life. And so I've had to make tough decisions to get out of businesses that are making money that, you know, on paper still look successful, but just in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I can't do this. That's not me. I've now done that a couple of times. You're right. Like I got out of businesses that are very well established. I don't regret it for a second, not one second. It's actually a harder exit than a business that's sucking. If a Mm -hmm. business is crap, it's really easy to just wipe your hands with it and be done. But to actually sell it when it is making money, it is profitable, is much, much harder. But if you look like you came from parents who wanted you to go the secure route, like they they wanted you to go down, be an accountant, like the white collar stuff, stability, certainty, like all that sort of stuff, but you've kind of shirked it. Where did you learn to shirk certainty and stability and to kind of throw that caution to the wind and then instead pursue stuff which is more fulfilling? It's an interesting question and it's never really been put to me like that. I I back myself. So whilst it may look like on the surface that I'm leaving certainty and security, I back my ability to create more certainty and stability in the new venture really quickly. And so I don't actually see it as risky per se. I'm just 
you know, this time now, I now focus on a full-time coaching practice. And I was like, I know that I'll be able to get this up to a level that will be able to support me, my family, financially, you know, all the decisions that we're making really quickly. I don't see it as risky. I don't see it as uncertain. I guess in a quiet kind of way, I'm just confident about my ability to make it commercially viable and happen for me. I love that, man. That's really, really super cool. So, okay. So, in this coaching business that you're doing now, who is it exactly that you're helping? Yeah. So, I primarily hit help fitness business owners, primarily bricks and mortar, their gym owners. You know, what I was for, for, well, and still am, I still own a gym for the last 13 years. You know, sometimes I get some obscure cases like people that want to develop courses or, you know, I've got some big hitters in the online world that really need help building teams and systems more than anything else. But bricks and mortar is my wheelhouse. I love helping people make the shift. I love helping people make the shift from a technician to a manager, from a manager to a leader. And that's the space that I love because I see a lot of, you know, really good people out there struggling more than they need to in business. I recognize it because it was me for so many years and they just haven't been given the skills. They haven't been given the, the frameworks, the knowledge to be able to shift their identity and make that evolution from being a technician to being a business owner. And so generally the people that I like working with are established, they have a facility, they're already doing you know six figures or multiple six figures. They have a couple of team members. They just haven't worked it all out. That's really cool. I believe I would have helped more people open their own facility within Australia than any other coach. Probably helped 25, 30 people open their own facility, some of them multiple facilities. So that's been really cool to see. I've helped many people expand their facilities uh, and build really successful teams and, and just make a big ass impact in this industry. That's awesome, man. So, if, okay, so if anyone's listening to this and they're like, oh, fuck, that's me, I need help there, where can they find you? On the socials is the easiest way. Like I'm on Instagram, I'm the coach of coaches. That's probably the easiest. Otherwise, on Facebook, I'm Daniel Henderson. Don't go for Dan Henderson because you'll end up finding the UFC fighter and I'm very difficult to find otherwise. So they're the two. If you hit me up on either, have a combo. That's the, the best way. I have a full-time virtual assistant that monitors all my socials and messages and she just lets me know. She flags them every day for me to get to back and I will personally get back to absolutely everybody. That's super cool, man. Thanks for your time, bro. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Awesome. I'll speak to you soon, dude. Will do. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there.